Thank you for listening, and we hope this message will strengthen and help you in your walk with God. So as you open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, would you say this with me today? I receive the Word of God to profit me, to reproof me, convict me, instruct me to righteousness that I may become perfect and thoroughly furnished on all good works. You just quoted 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Here in Genesis chapter 1, starting with verse 26, this is talking about the creation of man. And in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over all the cattle, over all the earth, over, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. God bless you. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over everything that moves on the earth. And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food. And it was so. Then God saw that everything he made indeed was very good. And so the evening and morning were the sixth day. So God created everything he saw was very good. And the word very good there, it means exceedingly the best. What it really means is there's nothing better than this. It can't get any better than this. But let's back up here and look at this one more time. Then God said, verse 26, let us make man in our image. According to our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over, uh, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God, he created them male and female. So we know that God created them in his likeness, right? And so in order to become like someone you have to know someone. Isn't that correct? Has there ever been somebody in your life that, you know, really kind of encouraged you and strengthened you and you thought, man, I want to be just like them? And maybe you even begin to do things like they began to do. Maybe you begin to take on some of their attributes. Well, this is what God's saying. He said, listen, I have created you, mankind. That's what Adam means, man and Adam, and we'll see this in just a moment when God uses the word, the, the word Adam. It comes from a Greek, I mean a Hebrew word that means Adam, but he's not speaking to an individual man. He is speaking to the species mankind. He really is. Well, we haven't, it hasn't, mankind hasn't multiplied yet, but God has already seen mankind as multiplied. I have created mankind to be like me, all right? And in order to be like someone, you kind of got to hang out with them. You got to kind of like what they do. You begin to adopt maybe some of their, you know, lifestyle or you begin to adapt to their way of thinking. You begin to allow their philosophy to affect you. Am I correct here? Sure. And so this is what God wanted mankind to do. He wanted mankind to pick up how he thinks, what he calls good and evil. And if you've been following us on this particular series, you're going to find out that, you know, here in a minute, we're going to see this in the scripture, that all of a sudden God said, well, now man knows what good and evil is. Well, it's not that man knew what good and evil was. It's that all of a sudden man decided that he was going to set the standards of what good and evil was going to be. And so God began mankind to say, hey, I want you to be like me. I want you to follow after my standards. And so it wasn't a problem. And here in uh, chapter 2, starting with verse 4, 
And this is the history of heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Before any plant of the field was in the earth, before any herb of the field had grown, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth, and there was no man to till the ground. But mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the earth, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward to Eden there, and he put the man whom he had formed. So God created man out of the ground, and he breathed into them, and they became a living being. Now, I can't say that I am a language expert, but I think I do understand the word I-N-G after a word. If, if, if you live and you put I-N-G, you're living. It's a continuation of that word or what that word was designed to do. You know, if you prosper, you know, that's one thing. But God wants you prospering, to continue to prosper. He doesn't want you to have one, you know, uh, uh, financial uh, blessing. He wants you to live in financial blessing. He wants you to continue. When God said, light be, the sun's never gone out. The sun will never go out, in my opinion. You know, people have different opinions. But it's going to continue to be. Being, because God said light be. And so when he created man, he created him to be a living being, a continuation of what he created him to be. And so that's what it means to be a living being. God created man to continue to be, you know, have dominion over the birds, over, uh, uh, to have dominion over all that creeps on the earth, to have dominion over all the beasts. You know, this is the way God created us, to be in his likeness and into his image and to continue in that likeness and in that image. And then here in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend it and to keep it. But did you notice there in verse 7 and 8 that it said that there was no man to till the ground? In other words, what he was really saying was man wasn't designed to till the ground. God created this incredible earth so that man didn't even have to till the ground. All man had to do was just enjoy God's creation. In fact, as you begin to study the word, you'll find out that when God separated the waters from the waters, many times we think that what he really means there is that that's when he created the landmass. But that's not what he was really saying. When God separated the waters from the waters, we had this sphere out there of water, and God pulled water from the water and put an atmosphere of water around the water. And on the inside of the sphere, that's where he created the landmass. And so for many, many years, we don't know how many years, but we know that, you know, uh, uh, there, there was an atmosphere around the earth. We don't know if it was ice because it was out in closer to outer space where it's colder and where it's below freezing, or we don't know if it was just a, a, a layer of moisture. But anyway, it was outside of our earth's atmosphere creating a terrarium-type effect here on the earth. If you've ever seen a terrarium, you never have to water terrarium, do you? You know, terrarium just waters itself because, you know, the water goes up, hits the glass, top glass, and it waters itself again. Well, that's the way the earth was. And in a terrarium, it doesn't even seem like it needs fertilization, does it? It just seems like it just keeps growing and growing and growing and growing, and it never stops growing. Well, that's the way it was here on the earth. In fact, some scientists, the creationist scientists, they believe that there was a dip, different atmospheric pressure on the earth, and when things begin to reproduce, the DNA strands were set a little differently, causing things to grow in a larger portion. They even have archaeological uh, digs of finding fossils of dragonflies that have three-foot wings. They have found ferns that are big as big as trees are today. And some scientists have even gone as far as to develop an atmospheric chamber to cause certain things to be reproduced in these particular chambers. And they found that the Japanese did this, and they found that, that a tomato seed didn't just grow to be a tomato plant. It became a tomato tree about 20 feet tall. And these tomatoes never rot, but they ripe, but they never rot. Isn't that something? So can you imagine, you know, you're walking through the Garden of Eden, and you have, you know, I mean, an enormous amount of fruits. You don't have to weed your garden. Praise God for that. Amen. For those who are gardeners, you don't have to weed your garden. Everything was grown. Everything was in order, perfect order, perfect harmony. 
And all you had to do is go through this garden where there was no ticks and no fleas. Or if they were, they weren't biting you because everything was made to eat vegetables. So we don't know what, what was going on back then. But, you know, you didn't have to worry about being bitten by a snake. You didn't have to worry about falling in a pit. Everything was just so perfect. And when you were hungry, the very thing that you needed to eat was already made, formed for you on the tree. Whether it was a nut or a fruit or a banana or whatever, or a vegetable, whatever it was. And it was like meat to you. You know, can you imagine eating a tomato today and tasting just like a perfectly grilled T-bone steak? Or maybe your favorite seafood. Pastor, why do you always talk about food right before lunch, you know? I, I don't know, but anyway, it works. But anyway, but never, can you imagine living a life where there was, everybody was vegan, you know, and, and there was no, you know, nobody was hunting, no other animals were pursuing other animals. It was just perfect harmony. And this is the way it was when God created man. And here in Genesis chapter 2, it says, And God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to keep it, and God commanded the man, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But we saw that God made the whole earth that way. So if man, as he produced and multiplied, God had already made the whole earth to be this way. And he said, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in that day you eat it, you shall surely die. You shall surely die. So here in Genesis chapter 3, now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? You know, I mean, God didn't say that. God said, you can eat of all the trees. Just this one tree, I don't want you to eat of this one tree. But, and the woman said to the servant, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And the servant said to the woman, you will, you will not die. That's not going to happen. God doesn't mean what he says. That's not going to happen. And so what was God doing? Well, the same, I mean, what was the devil doing? The same thing that he does today. He was working on the emotion, the reasoning part of it. You, you mean, you, you, you really think that one sin's going to kill you? you? I mean, do you really, th I mean, come on, is God really that legalistic? Is he that harsh? Is he that mean? That one sin's going to put you out and die? Well, God's definition of death wasn't referring to that individual. He was referring to mankind. Your sin is the death of mankind, Adam and Eve. You will hinder mankind. You will stop mankind from being what I created them to be if you sin. But Adam and Eve, they did sin. We'll see that in here in just a moment. But did they immediately die? No, they did not immediately die, did they? And so the enemy, he works on these reasons. Well, look at this. You sinned and nothing's happened. You're still okay. You know, God's blessing's working in your life. You know, you still got a job, you still have a nice place to live, you know, you still got a car, you know, you're still able to, you know, afford fuel for your car, you're, you know, all these things are, I mean, you know, there, there must be something wrong here. Well, see, sin doesn't always manifest, or the wages of sin doesn't always manifest immediately. Hello, somebody. Sometimes the blessing of the Lord doesn't always manifest immediately, but I'm here to tell you, it does manifest. And so the serpent said, you shall not die, for God knows in the day that you eat it, your eyes will be open, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, she went out and made a fruit salad. That's my interpretation, okay? Anyway, so she saw that the, uh, the, the tree was good for food, that it was, de was pleasant to the eye, and a tree desirable to make one wise. She took of her fruit and ate it. She also gave it to her husband with her, and he ate. And then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And the Lord said to him, Adam. And he said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said to him, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? And then the man said, well, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. 
And then the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you've done? The woman said, well, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord said to her and the serpent, because you've done this thing, you are cursed more than all the cattle, more than every beast of the field, and on your belly you shall go, and you shall eat the dust all the days of your life, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, and then he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And to the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow of your conception, and pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And then he said to Adam, because you've heeded to the voice of your wife and eaten from the tree which I've commanded you, saying you shall not eat, cursed is the ground because of you. In other words, you're now, you're now going to have to start working this thing, where before it was just nothing but, you know, absolute paradise for you. And so here um, in verse 20, and Adam called his wife Eve. Notice that Adam called her Eve. That wasn't the name God gave her because she was the mother of all living. And so here in verse 22, then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now he, lest he put his hand and take of the tree of life and live forever. And so what did God do? God said, therefore, the Lord sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground which he was taken from. So he drove the man out. So why did God drive the man out of the garden? Because he was mad at him? No. Because he knew that if man ate of the tree of life, that he would live in a state of sin for eternity and there was no redemption for him. God already had a plan. What did he say? I'll put my seed in a woman and his heel will crush your head. Isn't this interesting that the, this was all taken down in the Garden of Eden? And isn't it interesting that the crucifixion actually began in the Garden of Gethsemane? See the correlation there? You know, where it started, God finished it. Started in the garden, God finished it in the garden. I just love the details of God's word as we begin to study it and see more and more of it. But what happened here was that it's not that man knew what good and evil was. Man decided to set his own standards. That's what God was saying here. All of a sudden, man decided to say, hey, I'm going to decide what standards are. In other words, man wasn't going to be like God. Wasn't he created in the image of God and being a likeness of God? But after he ate the fruit, what, what, what happened to him? He decided he didn't want to become like God. And God set these standards for us to live by. And God didn't set standards for us to live by to punish us. God set standards to live by so that we could live in paradise. Hello, somebody. That's why Jesus said when you pray the Lord's Prayer, you say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God wants you to experience heaven on earth. God says if you'll live like me, you'll experience things like I experience. Well, is God sick? Is God scared? Is God depressed? Is God going through a hard time? No, you know, nothing seems to be bothering God. In fact, the Bible says he sits up in heaven, he looks at what the enemy's doing, he just laughs. I can just hear God. Is that the best you can do? <laughs> you know, to laughing at his enemy. Is that the best you can do? Is that all you can do? You have no idea what I have for my people. This is, you, you know, I mean, all God has to do is like today just roar and the enemy scatters. Isn't that wonderful? Can somebody give God praise in this house? So man decided by the, the by God asked man. He said, where are you? So this is a good question to ask ourselves. Where are we? Have we decided that we're going to live by the standards of God or the standards of men? Well, how do we determine that? The second question, he says, who are you listening to? A lot of times we, we decide the standards that we are going to live by based on what we've been listening to. And the third thing he asks, he says, what have you done? So these are the three questions that is so important for all of us to ask ourselves as we walk with God. Where are you? Where are you with your walk with God? Do you want all that God has for your life? I do. I want all that what God has for my life. I want to enter back into that place that he created me to be in from the very beginning. In fact, he made that possible through Jesus Christ. That's why it says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if any man be in Christ Jesus, he is a new creature. In other words, that God has transformed your spirit to be just like God and just like Adam was before sin ever entered in. In fact, it says the kingdom of God's within you. Not only has he also put his likeness in you, he has put his kingdom in you. 
Isn't that awesome? I mean, everything that you have need of when you accept the Christ as your Savior, God put inside you. In other words, he recreated you to be just like him. Well, if you're going to be just like him, isn't it reasonable to say, well, if you're going to be like him, shouldn't you think like he thinks? Shouldn't you operate like he operates? Shouldn't you have the same standards that he has? Because when you want to become like somebody, you begin to pick up their philosophy, their way of thinking, their way of doing things. And that's what happens when you begin to become like somebody. You know, our son, unfortunately, has become like me in the area of telling jokes. He'll tell a joke and we'll all go, yeah, we, we know Tom negatively inf- affected you in that particular area. You know, so anyway, but no, he has some of the same mannerism that blesses us because we watch how he adores his wife, how he takes care of his family. You know, and I'm not bragging, but I know where he got that from. He got that from me. I take care of my wife. I have a precious wife. I honor her. I thank God for my wife. You know, if it wasn't for my wife and and the Lord, obviously, but if it wasn't for her as a helpmate, I would not be where I'm at today. I don't know where I'd be. You know, she helps me, you know, stay on track, you know, and you wouldn't have any idea what kind of clothes I'd wear today if it wasn't for her. I might be coming in bib overalls and think I'm styling, you know, I'm not sure, but anyway. And, you know, God gave me a good helpmate, but I honor her, and he honors his family, and we see that he's, he's become like me in that particular area. Well, that's what you want for your children. You want your children to pick up your good qualities and overlook your bad qualities, Hello, parents. Isn't that right? But you know what? I'm so glad there's not a parent here today that has a bad quality. Did you hear that, kids? You all perfect parents, aren't you? Amen. Anyway, well, so, you know, so whose standards are you going to live by? Who do you want to become like? Where are you? And what are you listening to? See, your environment will affect you. Your environment will affect you. Now, I've been doing this every service, but there's a reason I'm doing this, you know, and that's because I'm trying to get this point across to you. Eric, would you come up here, please? How many of you have an idea of how far it is, this back wall, how long this back wall is? Now, we've measured three things here. Now, we've measured the front of the, of the stadium. I'm the stadium. Well, that's prophetic. <laughs> Amen. All right, the stage, um, the, the walls here, okay. So, so, okay, so a little participation. How far is this? How long is this back wall? Somebody give me a number. No, just shout it out. 20, okay. Everybody has an idea, don't they? But you know what? We can settle this, can't we? Because I have a tape measure. And this is an accurate tape measure because it was made in the USA. So we know it's right. So, Eric, you take this, and we're going to figure it out here. We'll go this way. All right. Okay. It is, you got it tight there, Eric? Okay. It is 29 feet, 7 inches. All right. Who said 30? All right. Good for you. Praise God. Thank you, Eric. Didn't Eric do a wonderful job? He's going to wind up. So, but like I said before, I have a rope here. You know, you can measure with a rope, you know. This rope is actually 15 feet, but I have changed the standards. I'm making, I've decided this rope is 20 feet. All right. So with a 15-foot rope that I say is 20 foot, how many of you want me to build your house with this rope? If I built a 40 by 60 house with this rope, you know, I would be shorting you about 150 square feet, I think. I don't know how many square feet, but I'd be shorting you some. You know, and the average house to build today is $171 per square foot. And so I'd be shorting you, you know, anywhere between twenty five dollars to $100,000. You don't mind that, do you? Huh? Well, why would you have a problem with that? So what standard do you want me to build your house by? My rope or that tape measure? Oh, why? Because that's the standard. Yeah, but I was in college, and I had a professor tell me that those standards are old. And in fact, those standards are abusive. And those standards are racist because I'm expecting someone to live by a standard that other people can't live up to. So I need to live by this 15-foot standard, don't you think? 
especially when it comes to building. See, here's the key. The key is that when we don't live by God's standard, we're only cheating ourselves. We're not cheating anybody else. But I heard some opinions. You know, in fact, I know some people who use a 10-foot rope and say it's 20 foot. They, you know what's so funny? It seems, seems like they're blessed. Doesn't seem like they're having any problems in life. So why can't I use a 15-foot rope and say it's 20 foot? You don't want that? How come? Because you're being cheated. Well, isn't the world being cheated when we don't live by God's standards? Absolutely. Aren't we the salt and the light? Somebody who calls himself a Christian, calls himself a God-fearing person, needs to step up and say, you know what, I'm going to live by his standards. Why? Because when we live by his standards, we all benefit from living by his standards. You know, the word says in Isaiah chapter 59, verse 19, So they that shall fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. Well, as I began to study that out years ago, someone revealed to me that there's no commas in the Hebrew language. So it really doesn't say it like that. It says, when the enemy comes in, and I like to say it this way, and I believe it's correct. Like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise a standard against him. Like a roar, like we heard today. You know, God will come against the enemy. You know, don't you want God's standards to wipe out the deception of the enemy? What if Eve would have said to the devil, nope, nope, you got it so wrong. Our standards, God's standards. You got it so wrong, devil. Our, st- our standards are God's standards. It doesn't matter what you think. What matters is what God said. That's all that matters. If she would have said, I'm not listening to your opinion. And so what is it that hurts our society more than anything else? And that is when people teach opinions that are different than the opinions of God. Listen, look what's going on in public schools today. Pedophilism is taught in our schools today. Ten years ago, if I would have had a conversation with some of the things that are being taught in public schools today, I would have been arrested. If I would have done that to a minor, someone under 18 years old. But today, now they want it in our public schools. Somebody has changed our standards. Someone's opinion. And isn't it something that only 1% or less of our society even believes in the LGBTQ uh, 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 lifestyle? And yet we're all, well, we need to love. Well, listen, not tolerating sin is not lack of love. Not tolerating sin is demonstrating the love. Because you know that sin is going to destroy our nation. And so we got all these opinions out there. You know, well, you know, it doesn't matter what gender you were born. What matters is what you feel like. Well, it depends on, you know, what you're feeling like that day. You know, I want to let you know I was born a male. I'm still a male. I'm going to stay a male. And there ain't nobody that's going to tell me I'm any different. Amen? When we first started the church, we had a family come to us, and, and the young girl was, uh, they had a boy and a girl, and the young girl was just kind of just, talking about how she wanted to be a boy, wanted to be a boy, wanted to be a boy. We said, we'll resolve that. And so we went to the home, we prayed over the girl, and we cast the devil out of her, and she wanted to be a girl. I can resolve this transgender thing. If you're confused, just come to church, and we'll just cast that spirit of confusion out of you. Hello, somebody. I'm not angry. I'm not abusive. I'm not hateful. Or what are other names they want to put on me? I'm really walking in love when I say, hey, you ought to be what God created you to be. You're going to prosper more when you, cre- when you do what God created you to do. Don't try to be a square peg in a round hole. Don't try to be a man when you were called to be a girl or born to be a girl. Hello, somebody. Amen. Amen. But yet there's some standards out there. Well, no, no, Pastor, we don't, want, we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Well, I want to let you know Jesus hurt some people's feelings. Amen. Amen. God hurt some people's feelings. You know, God's answer was, well, I'm just going to have to wipe them out. 
And because man decided to do what he thought was right, it took a total of seven generations before God had to flood the world. Think about it. Seven generations from Adam to Noah. And then God had to flood. Why? Because if you read the story, you'll find out every man was doing what he thought was right in his own eyes. And you know what's interesting? Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes back, it'll be like the days of Noah. There was perversion going on. There was all kinds of stuff going on during that time. And you know what? We're entering into those last days. We're seeing that. So does it discourage you? No, it encourages me because I know that we're one day closer to the coming of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. So God has a standard, and his standards will destroy the works of darkness. That's why James 4, 7 says, Submit yourself unto God and resist the devil, and he shall flee. So you see, to the degree that you submit to God is the degree that you have authority over the devil. Mark chapter 12, verse 30 says, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And he said, love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, if you'll do these two things, you fulfill all of the law that's in the Old Testament and all the things that the prophets, that God spoke to the prophets that we should do. All of them. Now, according to Jewish custom and tradition today, there's something like 430 laws that they have to follow by. But if you do these two things, and when I saw that, I remember as a young Christian, somebody asked me in the, about this. They said, what does it mean if the soul is the mind, will, and emotion? What does it mean that you should love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? If the soul is the mind, will, and emotion, how come he's got mind in there? You know, and I began to really study this out, and I realized it's a mindset. And a mindset is a result of how we've been taught what we have allowed to influence us, what type of environment we put ourselves in. See, our environment will determine our destiny. You know, I know that, uh, you know, Vicki and I, we've been, you know, going to, you know, the stores and looking at plants and planting some flowers and a few vegetables and things like that. But now they're selling citrus fruit out there. But there's an instruction on them. You've got to bring them in during wintertime. But uh, because everything I put my hands to shall prosper, I'm sure it's going to have abundance of whatever citrus fruit I, I put my hands to, right? But anyway, but you know, how come they don't just grow naturally out in the wild? Because our environment is not conducive for citrus trees to grow in Missouri. Isn't that correct? You know, if you really want to have a citrus farm, you're going to have to move to South Texas or to Florida, Okay. And so, you know, so our environment. So if we really want to live by the standards of God, aren't we going to have to ask what our environment's saying to us? You know, how many of you, if you have a problem with alcohol, are going to go sit in the local tavern? You're not going to do that. You know, how many of you who have a problem eating sweets are going to go to the candy store? Hmm? You're going to avoid these particular things. How many of you, if you don't want to update your house every six months, is going to quit watching HGTV? See, your environment starts changing you, you know, and this is the whole purpose of HGTV. They bring in the new fads and new trends, you know, and this is why Lowe's and Home Depot supports them so much because they know after six months of you updating your house, you're going to be tired of it because there's something brand new. You know, oh, I want that, you know, and the first thing I think when my wife said, oh, wouldn't that be nice? I think I just rebuilt this. I don't want to do this, you know, for another six years, you know. So that's the whole purpose. They want to they put this thought in your mind to get you to begin to desire something that make you dissatisfied with what you already have. And the truth is, what you already have is really nice. Well, this is what the devil did to Eve. He made her dissatisfied with what she had. And what she had was really great. You know, and a lot of times we need to begin to ask ourselves, what are we saying? Did you know that the Bible says do all things without complaining? Lock the doors, ushers. <laughs> I mean, there's not one of us who haven't complained. We've all complained. But God said do all things without complaining. That's his standards. Why? Because when you're thankful, that's when you begin to see things really move in your life. Amen? 
So love God with all your heart or have a mindset or God's mindset in your life. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Last week, I don't know if I got to finish it, but I was sharing a little bit out of Leviticus chapter 14, 33 through 53. And this was the law of lepers or leprosy. And God began to speak to the children of Israel. He said, when you came into the, come into the land of Israel and you begin to take these houses, goodly houses that you have not built, that was God's promise. Amen. Why can't we have that promise today? Amen. I mean, you know, someone gave Tanya a house. Has God any respect to a person? Can he give you a house? Someone gave Eric and Randy a supernatural deal on a house. Can God do that for you? Amen. I mean, you might be walking down the street and someone might say, hey, you. And you go, who, me? Yeah, you. Really, me? Yeah, you. What? I want to give you my house. Well, okay. Why not? But anyway, as they went into the land, they were given goodly houses. You know, uh, Moses was instructed by the Lord. He said, look, if there's any plague in the house, any mildew or mold or algae or something like that, go get the priest and let the priest look at this thing. So the priest would go in and examine it and, you know, and, hmm, you know, I need to pray about this. Let's shut the house up for seven days. And they shut the house seven days and he'd come back and examine it again. And sometimes the mold or the mildew or the fungus or whatever, he was able to identify what it is. And he'd say, hey, go get some bleach and water and wash this off and you'll be fine. That's not exactly what he said, but something along those lines, okay? So he said, but if these streaks continue to stay in your house, you need to take out the stone that the streaks are on. And you need to grind them up and take them out side of the city to an unclean place and replace those stones. And if those streaks show back up again, you shall destroy the whole house, grind it all up, and take it to the outside part of the city where it's unclean. And when that happened, and these streaks were a result of them melting gold and melting silver, when that happened, invariably they would find buried in the foundation because the Canaanites when they realized that the children of Israelites were going to come in and take their lands, they took their gold and their silver and they melted it down, made idols out of them, and hid it in the foundation of the house. Environments. Okay? Demon-attracting gods is what they were. Let me say that again. Demon-attracting gods. All right? And so they would hide those in the foundation, you know, and when they would tear it all down and finally get to the foundation, they would find these things. Well, what were the streaks? The streaks were from the fire of them melting down the gold and the silver. It would not change the element of the stone. But what God was saying here, he said, listen, I want you to get the idols out of your home so you can be blessed. So what's God saying to us today? I want you to get the idols out of your home. <laughs> So you can be blessed. Well, now, Pastor, I don't have any demonic idols in my house. No, it's called a TV. Lock the doors again, ushers. (laughs) No, we can, you know, there's certain things that we need to ask ourselves. You know, I don't know, uh, I don't know how it happened or how how it all transpired and things like that. But when Vicki and I first got saved, and she probably remembers the story, the detail a little better than I do, but... But, um, you know, um, I don't know if we had a Ouija board or if I had a Ouija board or whatever. But I found out, you know what, I don't need to have a Ouija board in my house. It's a demon attractor. You know, your kids don't need to be playing Dungeons and Dragons on the Internet. It's a demon attractor. Hello, somebody. You know, we need to ask ourselves, you know, what standards do we allow in our home? And, you know, it doesn't hurt to ask God to show you some things that might be in your house that could be distracting you from receiving all that God has in your life. Am I doing okay this morning? All right. So in order for us to be able to move on, we have to ask ourselves, where are we? Where are you, Adam? Where are you? What are you listening to? What have you been listening to? Whose opinion have you been listening to? Who have you elect, uh, elect, affect you more? Man's opinion or the word of God? Yeah, and what are you doing about it? Well, today I'm going to talk about a little bit about where we're at in the area of giving. 
Moses, the very first time that we see where giving was really brought into the body or the children of Israel is here in Exodus chapter 25. So go with me to Exodus chapter 25. And the Lord spoke to Moses, starting with verse 1. I'm going to read verses 1 and 2 and 8 and 9. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of, uh, of Israel that they would bring me an offering from everyone who gives it willingly with his heart, you shall take my offering. And then he tells what kind of offering to bring in. And then verse 8, And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. According to all that I show you, that is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its finishings, just so shall you make it. So let's look at that again. Verse 2, Speak to the children of Israel that they bring me an offering from everyone who gives it willingly with his heart. You shall take my offering. Let me say that one more time. Speak to the children of Israel that they may bring me an offering from everyone who gives it willingly with his heart. You shall take my offering and let them make it a, a tabernacle. Willingly means with the right mindset to give. With the right mindset to give. That's what willingly really means there. In Mark chapter 12, Jesus said this. Now Jesus, or it was, it was recorded, Jesus sat opposite of the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury. And many who were rich put in much. Then one poor woman, widow, came and threw in two mites, which makes a quadrant. So he called his disciples to himself. Now this is also accounted in Luke. And it doesn't say he called the disciples to himself, but this is what he did. He called the disciples and said this. He didn't say this publicly. So he called his disciples to himself and said to them, Surely I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given in the treasury. For they all put in out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty and put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. Now, now why didn't Jesus just rebuke the whole crowd? Because not everybody in the whole congregation was willing. Not everybody in the whole congregation was willing. He was watching them. He saw people bring things in. But what he saw was some people give out of their abundance. You know, there's some people, they can give $1,000. It doesn't affect their checking account one bit. And, I, you know, I, I understand that. And I understand that some people, $1,000 would be like a sacrificial gift. They don't even know if they would make it to the end of the year if they give $1,000. And I get that. But Jesus was saying, listen, for those who are given out of your abundance, you're not, you know, you, you have a mindset to give, and that's nice, but this woman who gave her whole livelihood, that's all she had. Because her mindset was, whatever's mine is yours, Lord. Whatever I can do for you, I will do for you, God. She was willing to give. And this is what Jesus was really pointing out. He, are you willing to give? It's not about how much you give. It's are you willing to give? In Matthew 23, 23, we see something here where Jesus talks about the tithe. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and you hypocrites, for you pay a tithe of the mint and anise and coming, and you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done. These you ought to have done. What, what should you have done? You should tithe. That's what he's speaking of. Without leaving the others undone. Blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. So Jesus is saying here, he's validating that, you know what? He said the problem with some people is that they tithe legalistic. Is that a mindset to give? Well, I tithe, you know, God, I did, I paid my tithe. Well, listen, I just want to encourage you, and I, I understand the terminology is a, a little tricky here, but you don't pay your tithe. To pay somebody means you owe them something. You don't owe God your tithe. You know, but if you have a willing heart, you go, man, I get to tithe. Mmm, glory to God. You know, Vicky and I, when we, when we sit down, or it's not usually sitting down, but when we're, we're discussing how much we're going to give, you know, it's like, how much do we get to give? That's our attitude. It's been our attitude. And I believe that's somebody with a willing heart. I'm not trying to, you know, put us on a pedestal in this particular area, but the person who says, you know, how much can I give? 
How much, how much do we have to give? That's somebody with, you know, making your bills and stuff like that, and you're struggling with the idea of how can I tithe, you know, and how can I make it? You know, I believe there's a mercy that God would say, yeah, I'm going to help you through this. But I also believe there's a grace that when you step out and trust God, God will see to it that your paycheck is longer than your month. I believe that with my whole heart. Why do I believe that? Because here in Galatians chapter 6, it says this, Let him who's taught in the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived, for God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, that will he reap. So if a person's willing to sow their tithe, then what are they going to reap if God's not mocked? Well, let's look at Malachi chapter 3. This is the blessing of being willing to tithe. Malachi chapter 3. If you can find Matthew, just go back one book. Malachi chapter 3, starting with verse 10. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Well, let's, let's just stop for a minute. Where, where do you think the storehouse of God is? You know, you think it's in paraministries? I'm not, I'm not against paraministries. Do you think it's in missionaries? I'm not against missionaries. We support both. But I think the storehouse is where, you know, God's house is that he can operate out of the house and do things that he desires the church to do for the community, don't you? I, I, I believe that. So I believe the storehouse is the church. That there may be food in my house and try me, King James says, prove me now in this, says the Lord host, if I will not open up for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not even be room enough to receive it. I'll rebuke the devourer for your sake, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit in the field, says the Lord of hosts. Now this is so interesting because when we first started the church, we had a couple come, and um, they were so precious, and then God called them to go to California. But she was sharing a little bit about the tithe. They found out about our church. I mean, this is the first year that we had started the church. And they said, oh, yeah, we believe in tithing, and we were just so thankful, you know, and I could call out their names today. They were such precious people. And she said one day her neighbor went into premature labor way before her time, and she went over to assist her. And she got down on her knees, and she said, do you tithe? What a question to ask a woman who's going into premature labor. You tithe? You know, I couldn't imagine asking that question. And the woman says, yes, I tithe. Well, she kind of knew that. She knew this neighbor. She kind of knew that. She said, well, the fruit of your vine will not cast its fruit before its time. And the labor stopped. And the lady had her baby on time. Wow. Isn't that something? You know, I'll never forget that story as long as I live. Why? Because God rebuked the devourer for this particular person who could have possibly had a miscarriage because the baby was being born way too early. So whatsoever a man soweth, he shall reap. So if you're sowing your tithe, what shall you reap? The windows of heaven being opened. God rebuking the devourer for your sake. You can expect these things. Now, I do believe that you can sow for certain things. I do believe that. But I really believe if you sow according to the word of God, God can't be mocked that these things shall happen. So that's the benefits of, 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 of sowing tithes. But what about offerings? Well, when you sow an offering, which is above a tithe, you know, and, and I, I want to say this, you know, the interesting thing about tithe for me and Vicki, neither one of us were taught tithing in the church. God spoke to Vicki no sooner that she got saved and said, first thing I want you to do is begin to tithe. Well, at that time, she didn't have a handsome, prosperous husband to take care of her. She was a single mom, and uh, she was barely, she wasn't making it, is really the truth, you know. And so, and so she, she, she began to trust God, and God just started turning things around for her. You know, how long was it after you began to tithe that I came into your life? Anyway. Because if, if God won't rebuke the devourer for I certainly will, all right? But anyway, we need to have a little fun with this. But, you know, 
But, that, but God spoke to her. I had a gentleman at the power plant we were having a Bible study, and he shared with me about tithing. And the moment that he shared with me about tithing, in my spirit, in my heart, I was like, I want to do that. I want to do that. But I didn't come from a family that tithed. You know, I came from an environment that once in a while you'd hear all that church wants is your money. You know, or you'd see something on TV, then somebody asking for money, and you hear negative. That's where I came from, you know. And so to have this mindset changed in me, you know, and God used this wonderful Christian man to begin to teach to me what a tithe was. And he also went on to begin to explain to me that a tithe was 10% of my increase. So he explained to me that if I made $1,000, a tithe was $100. You know, at that particular time, I was working as a construction engineer, and for that particular period of time, I was making pretty good money. I was thinking, i got to give that much money to God. I mean, I was just like, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, I didn't quite get there immediately. But thank God I got there. Amen. Amen. One day I drew a line in the sand. I said, I don't care what happens anymore. I'm going to give a tithe of my increase. And from that moment on, God began to show me how to prosper. Now, there were days I was so, so poor that I couldn't even pay attention, much less pay bills, you know. Thank God for my wife coming in and showing me how to pay bills and stay on top of those things. I mean, I just pay bills as they come in. Oh, do I got that money? Yep, pay that one. You got money for that? Nope, just put it aside until you pay it. Not my wife. I mean, when bills come in, she pays them. And I thank God for her. She's so, so very good in, 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 our, in our finances, handling our finances. And that's the way she does the church. That's why we're not in debt. That's why we're not going under because she does such a great job in overseeing the finance. Let's give her a nice applause. Let's so we learn tithing from different sources. But thank God you have a church that will teach you the truth. Oh, that oh, amen just overwhelmed me. So, offerings, given it shall be given, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be put in your bosom. For with the same measure that you use it, it will be measured back to you. That's an offering, okay? That's what you shall reap if you give an offering above your tithe. That's where, that's where you'll reap. So, let me just stop one more time, and it's not to condemn you. It's to bless you. Where are you? What are you listening to? Oh, I had some people who were faithful tithers when we were associate ministers, and you know, and 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 of course when we moved up here, the internet was starting to gain gain, gain uh, ground and stuff like that. I I've had people. Well, I saw so and so on the internet, and they said that it, you don't have to tithe anymore. We're not under the law. Well, Jesus said, you know, something about this is what you ought to do. Nothing about the law. You know, Abraham gave tithe before the law was ever, you know, given to us. You know, it must be a God idea. Offerings must be a God idea. Well, then we have first fruits. And many of you have heard our teaching on first fruits that the blessing of the Lord will rest on your house. So as you sow a first fruits, we declare this is a first fruits offering. And the benefits of sowing a first fruits offering shall come on your house. And many of you have experienced that blessing. How about alms? Given to the poor. Proverbs chapter eleven twenty five says, A generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also water himself. Well, there's almsgiving. Remember what they said about Carnelius? God said, hey, Carnelius, your prayers and your alms, your compassion for the poor. Now, I'm not saying everybody who has a sign on, on the street corner that says, you know, hey, we're homeless, we lost everything, that you should give to them. But, you know, there are certain circumstances that I believe the church should step up to and try to help and bless those who are struggling or are struggling in life. And I believe God puts those in our, in our life to do that. The Word of God says, But he who oppresses the poor reproaches his maker. But he who honors him has mercy on the needy. He who honors him is capital H, speaking of God. In other words, if you're going to honor God, you will have compassion on those who are needy. Okay? So, you know, the question and the mindset that, you know, we need to ask ourselves, where are you? What are you listening to? And what are you doing? Is do you look forward to receiving offerings in the church? I'm not here to condemn anybody or make anybody feel bad. Do you wish there could be more offerings? Are you thankful that you have something to give? These are questions we need to ask ourselves. Where are you 
in the area of giving. Now let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I'm doing real well. It's not 12 o'clock yet. And I just want to say, whoever gave my wife the Instapot, thank you very much. I use it. (laughs) And our Instapot has our meal ready to go when we get home because I've learned how to program it and everything. Amen? I shouldn't say I use it. We use it. She's a great cook. You can tell, right? So anyway, all right. I'm preaching this message. You can you get Thursday night now, okay? All right. All right. Second Corinthians chapter nine, verse six. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. So the woman with the two mites, did she sow sparingly? I don't think so. I think she she sowed bountifully. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purpose in his heart. Willingly, willingly. If you're struggling, just ask God to put a willing heart in you. Ask God to show you how to trust him in this particular area. I had to do that. You know, when this gentleman told me about the tithe, I'm telling you what, man, I mean, a hard knot just rose up. My door. I'm not tithing. You know, and sometimes I think when I was driving home, was lightning going to strike me and kill me? You know, I mean, am I that bad? Is the curse going to come on me? You know, and all those things. You know, I mean, I was, I was really kind of shook up about it a little bit. But then finally the step began when I said, God, I'm willing, but help my unwillingness. You know, I'm willing. And so I made $385 a week as a, as a construction engineer. And I went to the United Methodist Church at that particular time, and I put $20 in the offering. That was big. I'm telling you that was big, but that wasn't my tithe. But that was big. That was real big. And then I gave my biggest gift to somebody. Big gift. I mean, even want to know what it was. It was a registered Black Angus male cow. What we call those? Breeder. There's a there's a word for it. Bull. That's it. Somebody said you gave a lot of bull, didn't you? <laughs> but anyway, I did. I gave. A, I, I mean, a registered Black Angus bull. I gave it to somebody who wanted it for breeding. That was the biggest gift I ever gave in my time. It cost me $400 in 1982. That was a lot of money. Next week, I got this humongous raise. I began to get blessed everywhere I went. I thought, boy, this giving works. But I still wasn't tithing. But like I said, Lord, give me a willing heart. And that's when I drew a line in the sand one day and said, from this day forward, I'm going to trust you. And it starts with willing Where are you? Are you willing to ask God to give you a willing mindset? Can you really trust God? Do you really trust God? Where are you? So it says, let each give in his purpose and his heart not grudgingly or necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. I love to give. I love when we have it to give. The other day, and I'll close with this testimony, and then we'll pray and I'll dismiss you. But uh, we, uh, we were, she and I, we, we, we walk, and we went to the certain place to walk, and there was a gentleman on his bicycle there. And God spoke to me and said, give him $20. Okay. So I walked up to him, gave him 20 bucks. I said, you know, the Lord just spoke to me and gave me 20 bucks. He said, man, that's so great because the program I'm going to tonight is dismissed, and they provide dinner for me, and I don't have any dinner. This is going to be my dinner. So fast forward. You know, here I am, you know, a few weeks later, I'm at the Student Union at the University of Missouri. You know, and it's been years since I've been on campus there. So I went into one of their sandwich shops, whatever they're called, what are they called? Sandwich shops, whatever. You know, I ordered a sandwich, oh, I want this, this, and this. I pull out my billfold and I hand him cash. He says, we don't take cash. (laughs) He said, don't you have a credit card? I said, yeah, but I just didn't bring it today. I didn't have it. And this student behind me said, I got it. I got it. It's like, oh, wow. I'm so humbled. But a few weeks later, I realized, well, I had just blessed this guy with a meal. And somebody, just totally out of the blue, a student. You know, you think of students hardly having any money, you know what I'm saying? I thought, maybe I ought to recruit this guy to church, see if he can become a tither. Maybe he's rich. But anyway, (laughs) no, I... I really didn't think that, but 
But you know, look, look what God did. You know, even the world says, whatever you put out, you will receive. What goes around comes around. You know, that's a good opinion. But God's got something better than that. And as if you've got a willing heart, willing heart, I'll open up the windows of heaven. Amen? So I just want to challenge everybody, those who are here today, those who are listening by uh, online or listening by the recording, just ask yourself, where are you in the area of giving? If you're struggling, ask God to give you that willing heart. Thank you for listening today. We believe God's Word is what will sustain us in any situation in our lives. For more information, please visit us at familywc.org or you can download the app. Look for us as FWC Como. Until the next time, remember, you are God's best.